With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Welcome back. And uh, this one, this one, at least the beginning part of it, is something that was first researched by my wife. Gabby, do you want to take it away from here? Okay, yes. So this episode is on Catherine the Great because... Steven made me look into <laughs> Catherine the Great. Well, we you were looking for ideas well, on what we could talk about. We were about. watching The Great on Netflix. Yeah. And I did not know who Catherine the Great was because I, the last time I heard of Catherine the Great was right like back in freshman year. It was like nine years ago. Freshman year, world history class. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned for the very first time Oh no! that Prussia and Russia were two different things because I remember we first we started I don't think we started dating at that point no we were not dating at that point this was literally just me freshman year this was like the semester we yeah met. I didn't meet you until your sophomore year no you right? met me like you met me the end of that semester oh right remember right. I didn't because the, the different yeah. year yeah so I'm talking to him and I'm like oh yeah like I took this history class last year and this kept spelling Russia with a p and I was so confused and he was like. Gabby, you mean Prussia? I'm like, yeah, they kept spelling it Prussia. And you still continue to date me yeah. and then married me. Yeah. Keep in mind, I had such a high A. Like, I had a 102% mm -hmm. in this class that I did not have to take the final. And I did not even know that Prussia and Russia <laughs> were two different things. So that really motivated me <laughs> to research this episode. So Catherine and her husband, Peter... We're an interesting couple, for lack of a better word. To say the least. <laughs> well, the great makes it seem as though Peter is so lucky. Um, and he's just kind of, like, awful. but he's So more so competent. And, and also a little bit charming in his own gross way. You, you, I don't know how to process let's, that. Let's, let's just continue on. So basically, if you've seen it, it's an over-the-top reenactment of this historical couple. And... This means I get every single history lesson known to man when we watch it because Steve is like, actually, this happened. Oh, my God. You are the well, actually guy. Yeah, I am. Please. That's an insult, babe. Yeah, I, my existence is an insult sometimes. <laughs> okay, I, I firmly understand but that. But anyway, I really wanted to find out who exactly Catherine the Great was and why she was so important. Basically, there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding her identity. A lot of her history has gotten to the point where it is almost... Um, idealize it's more of a mythology it's there's a lot of stories surrounding it because what she pulled off was amazing yes absolutely but how did she get there so in this episode we're going to take you from who she was to exactly how she became the longest reigning female monarch of russia yeah of russia right, of not russia, russia. Whew. It always gets me. But this is going to be a detail that we're going to be going into here quite a bit. But the confusing thing about it is that Prussia was a German state, and uh, she was not Russian. She was she was German. That actually pissed me off. Um, you remember <laughs> when you walked into the bedroom and I was literally fully in tears, being like, "I hate history. I don't want to write this anymore. It's awful." Do you remember when you walked into the room and I was literally yep. in tears? Um, it was because they were like, "Oh yeah, she's the daughter of a German prince, but her mother, her mother was a Galtorp." Gotorp? Her mother was kind of Russian, but not really. I was so mad. Noble relations and, and how weird is, it is. Her dad wasn't even a major German prince. Like, this man was no, unknown. No, minor princeling within the Holy Roman Empire. And then also, Peter was not Russian. Nope. I was so mad, Stephen. I was like, I don't even, I don't even care. <laughs> nope. And him not being Russian was going to be a very, very, very big problem later, uh, which is what we'll get into. So... How, how did you get very far in that? Because I know that past a certain point when you were covering a number of her background, then I started doing more of it. How far did you get in? Oh, I in read literally everything. Like, I read all of the sources that I had listed and pulled up. Oh, so then you know a lot I of the bad stuff. I read all of it. I was like, I'm just not going to write any of this down <laughs> because I'm so mad right now. Like, I know what happened. I just did not want to, like, even touch that. I was like, I cannot make this make sense to anybody else. 
uncompletely understandable. Okay, then I suppose that that is my job when it comes in to try and explain it away to people <laughs> to process. That is that is the thing. That is the thing that I would do from shorts and now in a much longer form uh, here on the podcast. Okay, so Catherine the Great, also in this case called Catherine the Second, because she was Catherine the the Second. There was a previous Catherine before her, but she is Catherine the Second, who is the Great. She was the ruler of Russia from 1762 to 1796. For 34 years, she was in charge of Russia, making her the longest reigning woman in Russian history, which is really funny, of course, because, again, she was a German princess. The whole thing within European royalty is an absolute convoluted mess. It's Generally speaking, that's royalty all over the world, but when you have as many minor princedoms and other stuff in Europe as you did at this time, it gets even messier. But in order to tell you the story of Catherine, we need to tell you how she got that name in the first place because Catherine is not actually her name. It is. Oh, yeah. That's the other part that really pissed me off. When I actually was looking into her, they were like, they kept calling her this other name. And I'm like, what is going on? I literally Googled Catherine the Great. Yeah. I was not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Adoption and thing kind of works. Well, it's not, I wouldn't even call it adoption, but being adopted by a country effectively does that to no, you for name so changes. So picture this. You go into this not knowing the difference between Prussia and Russia, or, or at least very recently, nine years ago, having learned the difference. You Google Catherine the Great just to kind of figure out who she was, just to see what the people on the streets are saying about her, the common folk, if you will. And then they're calling her nothing even close to Catherine. I was infuriated. Yeah. But in order to tell the story of this Catherine, we have to first tell the story and background of the one who came before her. Not Catherine I, but rather Elizabeth I, Elizabeth I. Though, in this case, we're talking about of Russia, not, not of another country, not, not of England or anything like that. So, Elizabeth Petrovna, she is the ruler who from, how do, how do I ever put this? She lived from 1709 to 1762. She was the daughter of Peter the Great and his second wife, Catherine I, the original Catherine in here. And that's not the one that we're going to be focusing on. We're focusing on Catherine number two today, but Elizabeth is very important for setting up the story. Either way, Elizabeth was the Empress of Russia from 1741 all the way until her death in 1762, which for a monarch is a pretty decent amount of time. Like she ruled for 21 years. After Peter had died in 1725, his wife succeeded him as the Empress of Russia, but she only died two years later. Then Elizabeth's half-nephew, Peter II, who was the son of her half-brother from her father's first marriage, he took over from his mother, but then he died in 1730. So we've gone through three different monarchs in the span of five years. Elizabeth's first cousin, Empress Anna, then ruled from 1730 to 1740, and she was the daughter not of Peter the Great, but rather his elder brother, Ivan V, and she was the one who was ruling. During the reign of her, Elizabeth was gathering support in the background so that after the death of Empress Anna, the regency of Anna Leopoldnova, which was her niece for the infant Ivan VI, the little tiny boy that was supposed to take over, this was something that ended up pissing off so many people because of taxes and economic issues and all these kinds of things that it made them so deeply unpopular that they were able to essentially stage a coup and take everything over. Now, mind you, when we're talking about unpopular monarchs, this is Russia, and popularity and Russian monarch is not typically something that goes hand in hand. I have to ask this because it's been weighing on my mind heavily since the Ptolemy episode. Yes. If you were royalty and you had a child, were they automatically expected to just be named after their mother and or father or grandfather and great Dynastic names were very important. So our son will be called Stephen II Bell. You, you have that, yes. But Gabby... But like no middle name, just the second is the middle name. Gabby, do you have any idea how many Henrys there are together between the British and the French crown? I'm going to say 35. I actually don't even know the number, but it's a lot. Why would you ask the question? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Look, there's Henry's and Louis and George's, though the Louis share more in common when they talk about the Carling dynasty going into like the Germans as well. 
Yeah. Henry, Louis, George, these kind of, very, also, very common. Ivan is a very Russian name, but Peter yes. and Elizabeth, not so much. Was that just a German? Um, and Peter and Elizabeth is English. Well, this these are anglicized names. Like, as an example, Catherine, Ekaterina. Yeah, my high school best friend was named after Catherine the Great. Her name yeah. was, in fact, Ekaterina. Yeah. So, Catherine is the anglicized version of that. We say that, but... She would not have been called Catherine. She would have been called the Katarina. I'm not even saying that right because I keep on kind of inflecting into a bit of a Spanish pronunciation that I go back hey, to. It's okay. You're but American. It's... <laughs> but you know exactly what it is that I mean there. But that is, uh, yeah, that that is her background. Wait, where was I in this? Elizabeth, right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Keep so, track. Listen, there's been four monarchs so far, all right, and there's going to be more after this. Keeping track of it is still something that kind of messes with me, though it's not as bad as the Ptolemies, to be fair, like what we did in the previous thing, because that at was a lot of the same marrying, name and incest. They're not even marrying the same nationality at this point. I don't know how their uh, citizenship rules work, but could not imagine the green card process. Actually, we will explain that, because that is something that happens with her. I was literally joking. Well, not green card, but how she becomes Russian. It's a thing. It's a thing. We'll get into it. So Elizabeth was really popular among the Russian guard regiments because, I mean, she was the daughter of Peter the Great, and everyone hated the person that was in charge right now. She would do things like go down and visit the guard. She would make special events with the officers. She would do things like be the godmother to their children, just like of the guys who were in the military, which, of course, you know, would ingratiate them to her. And the guards would repay her when on the night of November 25th, 1741, Elizabeth seized power with the help of the Priobazensky. There's Russian names in here. I'm going to mess it up. But she seized power with this regiment, and it marched to the Winter Palace and arrested the infant emperor, his parents, and their own lieutenant colonel that was in charge of them, Count von Munich. It was a massive coup. It went off amazingly well, succeeded without any bloodshed. It was a perfect... Perfect coup d'etat. She just took everything over. Now, her reign was a pretty impressive one. It was good, and it was one that she tried to modernize Russia just as her father, Peter the Great, had to. Uh, she did things like put in domestic policies that would allow the nobles to gain dominance in local governments while shortening their terms of service to the state to just try and keep them on a more local level versus actual national influence. She would encourage the establishment of the University of Moscow, uh, the foundation of the Imperial Academy of Arts. She abolished the cabinet council system that was used under Anna and reconstituted the Senate like it was under Peter the Great, with the chiefs of departments of state attending it. She also addressed the war with Sweden, which was going on at this time, and in 1743, they had the Treaty of Abo signed. When that happened, Sweden had to cede to Russia all of southern Finland east of the Kaiman River, a massive victory for Russia. So she was reforming things politically, socially. She was reforming things economically. She was making peace deals. She was strong. She was great. She was rolling in it. She was doing awesome. She did a lot more than that, but that this is the whole thing is to just kind of set the stage in the first place. And it's shortly after that that Catherine enters the stage. But she is not Catherine yet. And she's definitely not great yet. Exactly. But before that, <laughs> ad break. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. All right. So, Catherine the Great. 
who's not the great or Catherine or any of that yet, as you said. She was born as uh, Sophie Friedrich August Princess von Anhalt Zerbst. Princessin. Yes, but which it means Princess of Anhalt Zerbst. I know what it means, but you didn't say it right. <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't. There's Russian and German names in here. I'm going to mess okay, things up. Okay, but as she it was a German princess yes. born in Stettin, Prussia. Yeah. Which is modern-day Poland. Yes, because at the time here, if you look at Prussia and what it was... Okay, so do you ever see any World War One maps? Absolutely Remember? not. Oh, oh, I have okay. never looked at a map so on purpose. Germany today is a lot smaller than what Germany was. The idea of the German states, northern Poland had heavy German influence. The, the former state of Prussia, right... And within Prussia, you had the Teutonic... You had the Duchy of Prussia. So before you had the Kingdom of Prussia, you had the Duchy of Prussia, and the Duchy of Prussia was reconstituted. I know you're, you're miming like you're trying to shoot your own brains out right now, okay? But it's important to understand these things. Damn it, I'm going to explain <laughs> it. And Prussia was consolidated after the Teutonic Order, because the Teutonic Order were a bunch of German knights that controlled the region that were fighting pagans in the region against, like, the Lithuanians and also against the Poles, even though they weren't supposed to be fighting the Poles. But they were doing that anyway. And, yeah, so that, that's where they come in. And that's Prussia. That's why that northern area in Germany before recent times was fairly heavily Germanized. I can absolutely see the gears in your head turning. So when I have a pathway that I'm studying bio in a cellular pathway that I'm studying in biology, like, that is exactly how my brain works. Uh -huh. I'm just like, this goes to this, and this happens with this, and this connects to that, and it can also go here. But that's you with every single date, person, and place on <laughs> Earth. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Good ends up happening. You. Thanks. It doesn't help me with a lot of the other things in daily life, though, unfortunately. Unfortunately. No. So, all right, this is where she's from. She is educated from a very young age in the important subjects that she was expected to know for her station, right? Uh, she was taught her religion, which was Lutheran Protestantism, uh, so Christianity. Uh, she was taught history, French, German, music, all of these things that she was taught by her French governesses. The thing is, despite that her having a noble background, her family was not wealthy. Like, they were noble, but her family at this time was rather poor considering their station. They still wanted her educated because the big thing that you needed to do as a European, not even power at this time, but as a European figure, the way that you got up in the world, that was by marrying someone great. And her family may not have had wealth, but they did have connections. They were related to people. They did know. They knew the right people. And so in this case, the right person that they knew was the Empress of Russia and the heir to the throne of Russia, Peter. Not to be confused with Peter the Great. This was another Peter. This and was you Peter the not so The definitely great. not great. The absolutely not great. Mine was way nicer than yours. <laughs> the really shitty not great. It may sound like I'm using strong language, but if the histories are even half right about this guy, yeah, yeah, that's easy. It's, it's, not, it's not a clean picture. It's definitely not a clean thing. But either way, before we get into that, uh, we, we have to set up the whole background, right? We're talking Peter the Great. Not, no, not Peter the Great. I'm fumbling my own words now. We're talking about Peter, who is the throne or the heir to the throne of Russia. So how does this little German princess end up being married to the heir to the throne of one of the largest states in Europe? Well, that is because they were actually cousins. Which, again, is a very common thing to occur with the nobility. So Catherine, then at the time here, uh, like Sophia or Sophie, she was related to the Dukes of Holstein on her mother's side. And at the age of 14, she was chosen to be the wife of Karl Ulrich, Duke Holstein Gottorp, who was known by his Russianized, it's not even a Russianized name, but by the name that he would use in Russia as Peter. So Catherine first met Peter at the age of 10. And based on the time, like she's writing about uh, meeting up with this guy, even as a kid, apparently she hated him, right? They didn't change after the two got married. Like, she just did not like him whatsoever. She Ooh. thought he was really dumb. He oh. was really insulting. He humiliated her daily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But she had to be married to her cousin. 
there's a quote, and I know I didn't put it in here, but there's a thing where it's like, she found him less desirable than the crown to which he wore, or something like that. Literally just fancy words describing like, he sucks, but he got that bag, though. Me? <laughs> Literally. Oh. oh, no. I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> For the record, I'm kidding. No, but the amount of times that you were in college and talked about potentially dropping out of college to marry Rich, you said, I don't care. Please, just end this. You are talking mad smack for somebody whose entire retirement plan is divorce me, marry a rich person. <laughs> Please. <laughs> You're a YouTuber with no 401k. Listen, listen, listen. I, 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 will, I will put one video out, right? And I will say, hey, I'm going to title it 401k. And I'll, I'll go back and I'll tell people every year, go watch that. And it's <laughs> compounding interest because I it's interest. In the I don't even know what I'm describing anymore. I'm just rambling at this point. Continue on. Okay. Okay. So she hated him at a young age, but of course he got that crown though, or was supposed to. Elizabeth loved Sophie, right? Upon her arrival to Russia in 1744, Sophie did everything she possibly could to ingratiate herself, not only with the empress, but with her husband, with the Russian people, with everything she could do. She single-mindedly dedicated herself to learning the language of Russian with such zeal that she would rise up at night and would walk out of her bedroom barefoot, repeating her lessons. She would master the language, even though she would still have a foreign accent, in remarkably quick time. Because literally, she would just get up in the middle of the night, walk back and forth, pace, speak the language, talk to servants, do whatever she could to speak it in order to get better at it. And this led to a severe attack of pneumonia on March in March of 1744. In her memoir, she wrote that when she came to Russia, she had decided that she was going to do whatever it was that had to be done in order to be qualified to wear the crown. Because she may not have liked Peter, but damn it, she was going to be great. And she knew that from a young age, that that's what she wanted. What's up? I was just going to ask, did she want to be great, or did she want to just rule Russia? Ooh, that is kind of yet to be decided yet, Tiara. It, it's, you'll, you'll see why that things turned out the way they did. Otherwise, she I'm sure that if Peter had been not as bad as he was, that she would have been more content to kind of rule side by side or as a sideline and have her own little stuff. But uh, there would be events that would kind of force her hand to do something. Okay, so from everything I've seen from um, my very, very extensive viewing of the Hulu the Great, which just sounds like an ad. It's not. I just watched that. Um, he was awful to his people, and she wanted to be good to them. She wanted change. She wanted societal change. She wanted to move Russia into, like, the modern times. She wanted yes. science. yes. And he was an idiot. Yes. Was that an accurate portrayal or was it just like movie magic? It, it actually is kind of close. It, it kind of close in the sense that he was an idiot. The things that you described and did and also some of his tendencies, no. But he was, by all accounts, pretty sadistic. But was she into modernizing Russia? Yes. yes. Reforming like all of their different, I don't know, more oppressive laws. For the law codes. For Yeah, she absolutely was. Though... Also, it's a little bit more complex than that later on, and we'll kind of explain it here. But If he was as dumb as she thought, why didn't she just trick him into doing what she wanted? It's super easy. Well, it, it wouldn't apply as much here when, um, when, when you have a petulant child who wants to be an absolute ruler still. Yeah, and it's going to get messy. We'll explain that. So remember how you were asking before about the qualifications, about a uh, green card and all that other stuff? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so one of the qualifications to being the Empress of Russia is that you need to speak Russian and be a member of the Orthodox Church. Like, you had to convert, you had to be a member of the state religion. That's just what you had to do. So Sophie's father, who was a very devout German Lutheran, he did not want his daughter to convert to Eastern Orthodoxy. But in 1744, the Russian Orthodox Church would receive the Princess Sophia as a member with the new name Catherine... Alexavina, the daughter of Alexei. On the following day, the formal betrothal would take place in St. Petersburg, and at this time, Sophie was 16, and her father did not travel to Russia for the wedding. Like, this whole thing was, like, set up by her mother to, to, to get in the first place, 
the father was not happy with what ended up happening with her. Of course, I don't necessarily know how he felt later on, but in the initial stages here with the whole conversion, definitely not something that made him happy. The newlyweds would then settle into the palace at Orenbaum, which would remain the residence of, quote, the young court for many more years. At this time, she got her name, she was now Catherine, she was now Russian Orthodox, she could speak Russian because she did so very quickly, and at her official title in court was that she was a Grand Duchess. And on August 21st, 1745, she married Peter. She was 16, and he was 17. Nice and young. That we say you gotta that. love, like, the royal marriages of literal children. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, Elizabeth, the, the Empress of Russia at the time, the reason why that he is even the heir and all this is going down is the, Elizabeth is not his mother. Elizabeth had no children. She didn't have any kids, so Peter was her niece or her nephew, and he or she adopted him effectively as her son to inherit the throne. So she needed someone smart and competent who would be able to run things with him. She needed to make sure that the line was secure. Okay, and this is why they got married so early. Just because I know what the you know back in the day was like, like the seventeen hundreds or pre birth control. When a woman had no kids, I'm like, either you are the luckiest woman alive or, you know, you're infertile. But either way, back in the day, not having kids, that is Because back then, a lot of women had no choice. No, yeah, absolutely. Even if they were rulers. You're 100% right. Now, speaking of having no choice in these matters, uh, that marriage was not something that was happy at all. From the very beginning, it just immediately started to break down. Peter very quickly became unfaithful to Catherine. If you remember from the show in The Great, how he's just uh, constantly sleeping around from the beginning. With with ladies of the court. Oh, yeah. yeah no, that was everything that Peter was doing here. That's, so that was really accurate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And very soon, she too became unfaithful to him. There was She took on a number of different lovers. Was she allowed to do that? It was no, but it was a open secret, effectively. Whether Peter was actually the father of Paul and Anna, the two children that she is recorded as having with him as his offspring, we have no idea. There is no way to actually tell. The thing about her husband, about Peter, is that he was neurotic, he was rebellious, he was obstinate, he was, at different points, impotent because of just the sheer amount of alcohol and whatnot that he would drink. And worst of all, the most awful part about anything of this none of these other details matters it doesn't matter how abusive he was it doesn't matter how much of an alcoholic he was it doesn't how much matter how much of an idiot he was the worst thing for russia was that he was a fanatic worshiper of frederick the great this was a big problem frederick the great yes oh no this is the guy who's in charge of prussia which is the mortal enemy of Russia at this time. So what was the relationship between Prussia and Germany? Well, Prussia became Germany. Prussia was the lead kingdom that formed Germany. It makes sense for Peter to be obsessed with him then, because Peter was not Russian. Yeah, there were two dominant Germanic states. You had Prussia and you had Austria. Oh, I know. I was just German asking state. that question to point that out. Yeah. It checked out. And his whole thing, he he worshipped this guy. He he was all about Frederick. And that was a big problem. That is the equivalent of, Gabby, you marrying our Indian friend Satya from work and then declaring yourself to be a diehard fan of Winston Churchill. Because in India, so Winston saying, is a very controversial figure, saying, even if he's a hero in the West. You're saying, I have your blessing to marry your best friend. Only if you tell him how much you love Winston Churchill and worship him. Okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, but see, it's just one of those things for a matters of things being relative to where you are as to who is a hero and who is a villain, right? So, Catherine was miserable at this point. She is horribly disappointed with her husband. And at many times, as you said, she is being humiliated him or humiliated by him and his actions. He would do things like spend every night in bed playing with 
the toy soldiers that he was really obsessed with because all he wanted to do was be a soldier. He would sometimes force his wife to dress up as a soldier so that he could then pretend to be a general and order her around to do things like just different military drills. And when he got bored of that, he would apparently beat his hunting dogs. Just something to get a reaction. The story even goes that one time after he spent hours meticulously setting up his toy soldiers in pretty rows all throughout his room, a rat came in out of the woodwork and chewed off the head of one of his toys, and he was so angry with this that he caught the rat and held a military court-martial for it. He proclaimed the rat to be guilty of treason and then hung it on a tiny gallows that he had constructed just for the occasion. Which is absolutely batshit insane. His it sounds like he had really great emotional regulating absolutely not. skills. Nope, absolutely not. Definitely. I, I think he nope. did a good job. No, 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 he did not. No, he did not. Catherine wrote about this event years later and a whole bunch of others in her memoirs that depict him as, you know, an idiot, a drunkard, and prone to brutal practical jokes and interested only in playing with his toys. And that's like he was a child trapped in a man's body, basically who was also sadistic and alcoholic and a sexual deviant. Every kind of bad thing that you can imagine, Peter was apparently that, if the stories are be to, to believed. Yeah. Now, considering that she would then stage a coup against him later, she may have been greatly exaggerating his actions, we don't know, but regardless, he was not liked in Russia, and he did not like Russia itself. But before we explain that, we're going to have an ad break. Did archaeologists discover Noah's Ark? Is the rapture coming as soon as the Euphrates River dries up? Does the Bible condemn abortion? Don't you wish you had a trustworthy academic resource to help make sense of all of this? Well, I'm Dan Beecher, and he's award-winning Bible scholar and TikTok sensation Dr. Dan McClellan, and we want to invite you to the Data Over Dogma podcast. Where our mission is to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and also to combat the spread of misinformation about the same. But, you know, in a fun way. Every week we tackle fascinating topics, we go back to source materials in their original languages, and we interview top scholars in the field. So whether you're a devout believer, or you're just interested in a clear-eyed, deeply informed look at one of the most influential books of all time, we think you're going to love the Data Over Dogma podcast, wherever you subscribe to awesome shows. And we're back. So this all brings us to the most critical moment where everything would fall into place for Catherine to take charge, the Seven Years' War. See, the Seven Years' War was a very critical moment in Elizabeth's later years as Empress. This war, which lasted from 1756 to 1763, hence the Seven Years' War, would completely change geopolitics in Europe. Elizabeth was annoyed by the 1756 alliance between Great Britain and Prussia, and saw it as completely subversive to the previous conventions that existed between Great Britain and Russia. And so she sided against Prussia over the fact that she really hated them and wanted to make sure that they were not going to be a threat on her border. She wanted to weaken Frederick the Great as badly as she could. So she entered into an alliance with France and Austria against Prussia, insisting that the king of Prussia must be rendered harmless. He had to be broken down so that he would not be a threat to any of his neighbors again because Prussia had been expanding pretty rapidly at this point and consolidating. She wanted to reduce him from a king back to being a mere prince-elector of the Holy Roman Empire. So during the first six years of the war, Elizabeth focused on the diplomatic and military efforts and everything that she could do to try and isolate Frederick the Great of any kind of allies throughout Europe anything that she could do. And it was working. Prussia was gradually losing ground, and victory was almost there. She almost had it. And then do you know what happened, Gabby? What happened, Stephen? She died. You're joking. No. No, she just... Like, actually just died. Like, she just died. Like, bleh. That was the end of her 21-year rule. She, she died in 1762, right before the war could end. This was only a year before that. And what ended up happening, remember who the heir to the throne was? Peter? Remember what he loved? Frederick the Great. He loves Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great is his man. So immediately after Peter succeeds the Russian throne, 
He withdraws Russian forces from the Seven Years' War and concludes a peace treaty with Prussia. This is an event, mind you, that is called the second miracle of the House of Brandenburg. House of Brandenburg, in this case, referring to the initial state that formed Prussia, Brandenburg. That, that, that's where this all comes from. It's sometimes called the, um, the, 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 it's sometimes just called the Miracle of Brandenburg, but the first one actually refers to a surprising thing that occurred earlier on in the Seven Years' War, where Russia and Austria had won a big victory at the Battle of Kunersdorf in 1759, and then just not pursued the Prussian forces. So they could have knocked things out and ended the war much earlier, and they didn't, which is the first miracle. This is the fact that Prussia is losing. Everything seems to be falling apart for them gradually. Not not, not, not everything, mind you. It, it's slower, but they are definitely on the back foot. And then all of a sudden, Russian forces withdraw. And not only do they withdraw, but Russian forces that were literally spent, they spent six years fighting and killing and trying to do as much damage to the Prussians as they could. And the new emperor turns around and offers an alliance with Frederick the Great, and promises him soldiers. Soldiers that, mind you, had been trying to kill him for years. So now Russia and Prussia team up and then immediately go after Austria. Russia switches side from being a Prussian enemy to an ally, completely shifting the balance of power Russia in Europe. Russia was Italy before Italy was Italy. Correct, correct. Correct, Peter, the little Mussolini that he was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This ended up with uh, Frederick uh, recapturing southern Silesia and forcing Austria to the negotiation table. The decision was incredibly unpopular in Peter's court, as you can probably imagine, and would piss off so much of the military staff that, mind you, they had been fighting for years, for years to defeat the Prussians. And then the, the emperor just turns around and goes, no, I don't want to hurt him. No, we can't do that. And then immediately betrays everyone. Like, it, it is taking his personal feelings to a degree that is rarely seen in history. It is truly insane. But that wasn't the only thing that he did. I wish he would stop doing things. No, no. See, the, th the title that he cared about was not being Russian emperor. No, no. He wanted to Rus be great, right? He wanted to be German because Russia was this stupid little backwater that he didn't want to actually be in Russia charge Russia was a backwater? Oh, yeah. Russia was oftentimes referred to as, like, the sleeping giant of Europe. Is it because it's so cold? Well, not only that, but specifically because the land was so broad. It had such a big population, but it was very far behind the rest of Europe in terms of industrialization and ideas. So even though it was European and it had some minor aspects of industrialization, a lot of society was so, like decades, even hundreds of years in the past. Like serfdom was still a thing. Surfdom. I do remember that into the 1900s, right? Uh, 1800s. It was or late 1800s. It was it was pretty far past everybody else. Was it 1838 or 1840? 1841? Can you look it up right now? I think it might have been 1840. I'm pretty sure that that was the case. Or 1841, it's going to bother me if I don't get this. Hold on. But either way, they still had this concept. where They got rid of it in 1861. 61, not 41. Okay. Yeah. So at the same time that all this was, like, peasants, the, the basic class, the farmers, the, 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 the majority of society were still bound to the land in the mid-1800s. Russia was a backwater in pretty much every sense of the word, and Catherine had wanted to modernize it. So you might need to explain backwater to our non-American oh, um, backwater for anyone that is listeners. listening to this that doesn't uh, immediately know the term. It refers to uh, backwater, boonies, boondocks, the outskirts. It is it is something that is not developed. It is very underdeveloped. Is typically the term of what you would use. And it particularly refers to the a vast countryside where there's just not much infrastructure. That is a backwater. And that was a lot of Russia. Russia may have had the population. It had a lot of it. And it did have guns, but it didn't have a lot of the ideas or industrialization of the other states. And so European powers, especially going into the 1800s, were constantly trying to invest in Russia because it had massive industrialization potential. It was a big investment scheme to, like, invest in, in 
Russia. Because it was so massive, so populated. They had the uh, citizens to just throw at things. Exactly. Like whether it's a workforce or a military. Yeah. The idea behind Russia was that it could be effectively the China of of Europe. That was just what you could do. So, wait, wait, where were we? We were talking about Peter. (laughs) Right, okay, wait, wait, wait. So, you just got wind with this whole rant about Russia being a backwater. Okay, so, Russia is a backwater. Peter wants nothing to do with it. He loves being German. That's what he wants. And as the Duke of Holstein-Goldtorp, this was the title that he actually cared about. Not being the emperor of this place with millions upon millions upon millions of people. No, 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 no. He wanted to really be the ruler of this German state. That was the land that he actually cared about. This it's little like, duchy. Like, you know you know the uh, the little lip, Gabby, in between Germany and how Germany has that little tuft that sticks out the top and then it becomes Denmark? Yes. There. So that little tuft there uh, on, like, Jutland right there, then that little, little string. It kind of looks like this is the cowlick of Germany, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Just that little knot. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So that tiny little plot... That is Holstein. That's what he cared about. That's what he wanted. He is a man of short, short vision. He's short-sighted. Yeah. So he wanted to wage war against Denmark in order to restore parts of the Schleswig Duchy like to him. He's me playing Crusader Kings. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't care about this, all this land here. (laughs) I want this. This one tile plot. So he was focused on making alliances with Sweden and England in order to try and ensure that they were not going to interfere like with his war with his wars against Denmark. And while Russian forces gathered at Kolberg in Russian occupied Pomerania, alarmed at the Russian troops that were concentrating near their borders and unable to find any kind of allies to resist Russian aggression and with no money to fund a war, the government of Denmark threatened in late June to invade the free city of Hamburg in northern Germany in order to try and get a loan from it. Peter considered this whole thing to be a casus belli, a cause for war, and was prepared to launch open warfare against Denmark, but he was not going to get the chance. See, Catherine understood that if her husband continued to go about in all of these pro-Prussian ways, that it was going to mean that the entire nation was potentially going to go against them, and it was going to end in horrible violence that would rip the country apart, ending all senses of stability. She was also Prussian, right? Well, not Prussian. Well, she was German, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, but she fully embraced the Russian identity at this time. Like, she she, she was in all about it. She had all these ideas, all these plans. It was, it was like two polar opposites. She wanted to get in and change things. He wanted to get the hell out. And they married each other. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the whole situation was kind of forced in the first place, but it's what happens with arranged marriages there when it comes to nobility. So, she determined that she was going to have to launch a coup. And this secret plot occurs in the summer of 1762, where she is an active conspirator in all this. Not just a pawn of the military or anything like that, or any officials, no, no, no. She is the one that is leading this. And her lover, the ambitious Grigory Orlov, and his brother, Alexei Orlov, they began gathering supporters for Catherine with bribes and promises of reforms and all different kinds of things. And when all of this was done, it was done quietly, right under the nose of Peter, who had no idea that anything was happening. At least that was the case for a time. A little bit later, on June 28th, 1762, Catherine gets shaken awake by her ally, Alexei Orlov, who disturbed her in her sleep to inform her that one of his brother's underlings had been arrested for speaking out against Peter. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. The guy may have been at a bar, got drunk, and started shit-talking the emperor, which is an easy way to get, you know, arrested at the time. And because he knew what was happening with the whole conspiracy, that meant that the time had to be now to act. They had to act as fast as they could because if he revealed what he knew under torture, they were screwed. So Catherine leaps out of bed, she gets ready, gets her followers, and they go. She and Orlov race down by carriage to the garrison of the Ismailovsky guards who were waiting for her in formation, already ready to go under her command, and they march. Like, they, they take everything. This was just the start of what was going to be this huge, grand, symbolic 
procession. It's like a parade. They're just going down with as much pomp and ceremony as they can to coronate her. They travel from barracks to barracks to barracks, gathering all the different armed men. They get a bunch of cheering citizens. They get any kind of powerful figure or ally that they could possibly get. And the the bigger that their procession grows, the faster that it grows. Because people look at this and see, oh, shit, there's a big political event that's happening. Oh, I better fall in line or else I might die. And then this just causes a whole bunch of people to just keep on lining up. The bigger the wave, the more powerful that it gets. And they just keep going. They make their way to their final destination, the official royal residence of the Winter Palace. And then preceded by chaplains and other priests, she rode to the cathedral of the Lady of Kazan, and flanked by the Orlov brothers, the Archbishop of Novgorod solemnly proclaimed her as Gostarina, the sovereign autocrat ruler of Russia. She was Catherine II, and her son, Paul Petrovic, the heir to the throne. So she did have kids with Peter. That was not Remember false. what we said from the beginning. It is unknown as to whether or not Anna and Paul are actually his kids. There's there's a number of contentions with this and the rumors right, because that they were she did have a lot of she, like had, she had a had lot at least of lovers. Three lovers from what I recalled. A lot. Yeah, and probably way more than that that just are not documented. We do not know. Note to self, when husband underperforms, get a lover. James, cut that out. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. James, cut that out. And as for how Peter reacted to all of this, well, uh, you can probably imagine that he was really, really pissed. There's a, there's a quote that he is supposedly said to have said, that is, didn't I always tell you that she was capable of anything? Which, again, might just be hearsay afterwards or writing up to drive up her own skill and ability and whatever. But this is apparently what he shrieked to his mistress, uh, Elizaveta Voronstova, where, or Voronstova, it's our Russian name, essentially Elizaveta. So he, he is with her. And mind you, her sister is like Catherine's best friend while there. And she's just a lover. And that's who he's taking around with her. He grabs her and drags her away, retreating as quickly as he could. We don't know if he actually said these things, but that is supposedly what he did. And with his lover in tow, Peter makes this desperate attempt to try and escape to the island of Kotlin, but he gets there, and you know what they do? What do they do? They turn him away. He's the emperor of all of Russia, and they go, no. Because he didn't want to be. Nope. The inhabitants inside had decided instead that uh, their traditional loyalty to the emperor was no longer going to be a thing that was actually going to help them. So they called down onto his head as he's demanding demanding to be let in. Long live the empress, Catherine II. She is our empress, and we have orders to admit nobody within these walls. And another move forward, and we will fire. And that is the quote. Wow. It's it is not going well for him it, because he literally sold them out to Prussia. No, literally, literally. You have to think he betrayed every single aspect of the military, even assuming that he was not an alcoholic, even assuming that he didn't play with toys, even assuming that all these other little okay, details. OK, playing with toys. That's not a crime. No, no. But how he would rule govern and make servants and all this other. Uh, if you want to take any of his weird behavior aside. The act of what he did, and we know he did with Prussia, would turn effectively the entire military and nobility in the entire establishment against him. Mind you, he was so anti-Russian, he did not want to speak Russian. He would speak German. The nobles who were, like, in high positions that were in his court that would serve him were German nobles. The Russians had no say in their own country, basically, because he was so pro-German. Wow. Yes. He really shot himself in the foot. With every step of the way. That's why even why if you assume that he... Why didn't he retreat to Prussia then if he loved them so much? I mean, it was, it, Russia is really big. It would be very hard to get out of there. Okay. He should have thought of that before he did what he did. Yeah. So Peter, with nowhere to run, is forced to retreat back to St. Petersburg, where he promptly gets arrested and is compelled through force to abdicate his claim to the throne and the crown. Not that that would last very long, though. Peter ended up actually dying under house arrest. Uh, 
at the settlement of Ropsha on July 9th, 1762. The circumstances surrounding his death, though, would evolve into easily the greatest conspiracy in Russian history, with the exception of perhaps potentially being survived by Grand Duchess Anastasia. Remember the whole thing with the Romanovs and getting killed by the Soviet Union after World War I? There was this whole thing for years afterwards where the Princess Anastasia, people were saying that she actually managed to survive, and that, was, that whole thing was false. But there were all these rumors that she'd actually survived and was going to come back to bring back the Russian monarchy. Nah, nah. People alleged for years that Peter hadn't actually died and that he was going to come back and take over the throne again. Okay, people love to start those they're not actually dead conspiracy theories and not one has been true. Yeah. That's so disappointing. We should do the Romanovs. That the Romanov like for the for the 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 the, the, the not the, 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 the. I am begging you to not make me research that. No, no, that would definitely be me. We're talking about World War 1 and then it's spiraling out of control for the Russians and it would have to be the Russian Revolution and then the death of the Romanovs. I'll do like history science adjacent topics, but that that sounds mm, that sounds like something I won't be able to do. Yeah. So the official report of Peter's death is that he died of hemorrhoidal colic and an apoplectic apoplectic stroke. Yeah. So that thing. There's a number of different stories that say that he was actually assassinated by others, like Alexei Orlov under Catherine's orders, or that he was killed in self-defense by a jailer who he attacked while drunk. There was, again, all kinds of rumors from Peter's still small remaining faction that he had survived and that the one who died was a lookalike commoner, but it's universally accepted that Peter was not mourned by the majority of people in Russia, and so, they were happy to see him go. Do you know what apoplectic stroke is? No, I don't. An angry stroke. Oh, well, considering how he was having all these psychotic breakdowns and was very apparently prone to severe anger issues, yeah, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. The only people who actually seemed to miss him were a couple of his courtiers who would suck up to him as Germans and his also mistress? his mistress. Yeah. In the movie... It shows that his mistress was actually married to another man. And she was like, oh, if I don't sleep with him, he'll kill me. But, like, the whole time she's just giving the vibes that she hates her husband. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad. Very messy. Anyway. Ad break time. I, I, I've been talking for way too long. <laughs> I'll have minutes. to insert an ad break at some point in between all of this. But I know no, that I've been going and ranting. No, going to cancel you for it. Stop. So here we are at the end. All that was left after the coup was for Empress Catherine to rule as she saw fit. It's over. The period of Catherine's rule, the Catherinean era, is oftentimes considered to be a golden age of the Russian Empire and of Russian nobility. She was in an enthusiastic supporter of Enlightenment ideals, which were all the rage in Europe at this time. She really, remember what we talked about in the beginning? She wanted to advance Russia. She wanted to develop it. She earned the status of being an enlightened despot who wanted to really develop the state. I mean, she believed that the strengthening of her authority and what she would need to do as an autocratic ruler, that she would be able to make the lives of the people within Russia better. She would be able to help a lot of her subjects. Now, this philosophy of enlightened despotism implies that the sovereign knows the interests of his or her own subjects better than they themselves did. Which, in the case of Catherine, in some cases, probably be true. If it was Peter that had the same thing, oh, absolutely hell no. Which is one of the key dangers of enlightened despots. I think I've covered this before, but technically speaking, the best government in history, like hands down, is a benevolent dictatorship. In which one person, who is very knowledgeable and skilled, has a genuine vested interest in improving the lives of people within the country. The problem is... These things are usually followed by not-so-enlightened or benevolent rulers. That is, that is very quickly what ends up happening with autocracies. Now, the monarch taking responsibility for the subject did preclude their political participation. They weren't allowed to actually do anything within the political structure, but it's okay because you don't need to do anything because monarch mommy is taking care of you, and that was the idea. Monarch mommy? Okay, you're canceled. What? What? What would what, what, what I call you? Like, Papa Patriarch in the case of a religion? Please. Um, Daddy Dictator? <laughs> it's like Daddy Daycare, but Daddy Dictator. Just call them... <laughs> 
monarch. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So Catherine was the person that was in charge of the Russian Enlightenment, effectively. She would oversee everything and would seek to contact with uh, all these different great thinkers and minds from all across the, the world, really, but especially across Europe, with just the major philosophers of the era. So was she successful at bringing Russia up into their, uh, you know, their mo- the modern times? To a degree. Because they were way behind everybody else. Yes. Here's the thing. The best parts of her wor- of her rule, she ruled for 34 years. The first 15 to 20 were arguably the best. But what ended up happening is that over time, as geopolitical events changed, she started to go back on a number of her Enlightenment ideals. She started to crack down on people way more. She was still a great ruler. She was still a wise ruler. But she was simultaneously, she she didn't follow through with a lot of the Enlightenment ideals that she championed. The biggest stain on her entire record is that whole thing with serfdom. Remember, as you just said, serfdom was not gotten rid of until 1861. In fact, under her, despite the fact that life for the common peasants, not the serfs, but the regular common peasants and others would get better, for the serfs, it got worse. Way worse. Because her institution would strengthen the regime of serfdom in order to get alliances with the nobles. Basically, it worked out like a deal. The nobles would support her and her rule so that she could pass reforms and do things within Russia. But serfdom was to be left alone and actually strengthened so that it would tie them more closely to these nobles so that the nobles would have a continuous workforce that was exclusively under them. They may not have as much say in the overall government, but their own local little manor or whatever, they were the absolute kings within that. And so the lives for those rulers, or not rulers, the lives for those slaved peasants, which that's essentially what a serf was, that just got worse and worse. So the story of Catherine the Great is one of power, and if we go into more of her story, which we could, that is something that would take a lot longer than what I'm capable of here. Can we do a part two one day? We probably could do a part two, just going over her rule and the events that occurred within it, because she was one of the great monarchs at a time where Russia was rapidly changing, where the world was rapidly changing. And so it's during this period that she becomes the great figure that we know of in history. But I really wanted to take today's episode to tell the story of how she got that way. Because in my opinion... That is the most fun, is just the insane story of the coup and the backstabbing, the relationships and all the stuff leading into it, because the setting, the setup is so much fun. I just want to find out what happened, because obviously when people first go into rule, they have all this energy, they have all this power, they have all this drive. And then eventually, if things don't go their way or they can't make, you know, they can't break through, they just kind of backtrack because they do need to keep power. So I'm just really curious to see exactly what happened. For her, you know, to make serfdom more like Don't quote solidified. me on this, but if I recall correctly, as time went on into the Enlightenment, more things like the French Revolution occurred, and things became so dangerous for autocratic monarchs that this caused even ones that were looking more towards Enlightenment to withdraw away from it because now the peasants were the peasants were getting all uppity basically they they didn't want these ideals of revolution to spill over and destroy the world that they had i say destroy the world because it's a very strong use of the language that really it's more like oh well uh we're the ones in charge and we don't want to end up with our heads getting cut off from a guillotine the french did set a really unfortunate precedent yeah, yeah. It's why after that, a number of different states cracked down hard and doubled down on autocracy, like in the case of Austria. Either way, that is the end of today's episode. If you liked what it is that you hear, and you really want us to do a part two on it to go over her actual reign with all the details and fun parts of it, please let us know. You can put it down in like the, not even like reaction. What is the thing that is on Spotify now Spotify and others? Spotify has a little uh, It's not like react. comments, but it's like something. Yeah, just, just, just message us on there. It's super useful it lets us know if you like what you hear and we just like being able to see what you guys think 
Either way, thank you all very much. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.